is blockchain technology accelerating the DeFi movement? Our guest today is Bobby Ong, the co-founder and COO of CoinGecko, a cryptocurrency data aggregator, tracking over 8,000 cryptocurrencies. He shares his thoughts on the DeFi movement and why you should consider including cryptocurrency in your investment strategy. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, be sure to subscribe and consider leaving us a review and sharing it with your friends. Welcome to another episode of In Your Best Interest, your personal finance podcast. I'm your host, Philip Müller, and today we will be chatting with Bobby Ong. Bobby Ong is a co-founder of CoinGecko. CoinGecko was established in April 2014, and it's the largest independent crypto asset data aggregator in the world. Bobby is a contributing author in two digital currency books, Handbook of Digital Currency, First Edition, and Handbook of Blockchain, Digital Finance, and Inclusion, Volume 1. He was included in the Forbes 2019 30 Under 30 Asia list and graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Economics from the University College London in 2012. Bobby, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Very glad to be on the show. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very good to have you. Uh, you know, we had... Um, we, we, we only have been talking to, about crypto, not too much. Actually, we had uh, last year, um, I think it was just, you know, right after COVID hit, we had uh, someone from crypto.com on the show. So we were talking a, a little bit uh, about their business model and kind of like in, in general about cryptocurrencies. But obviously, the last, you know, since COVID throughout, you know, 2020, early 21, hitting all time highs in Bitcoin and Ethereum, I think that and, and the whole DeFi space, you know, completely erupting onto the scene, even for the more general public, right, um, is, is a big thing over the last, you know, 18 months, you would say. So we're very happy to have you here. We are a personal finance and investment podcast. So it's something that our listeners are very interested in, right? Um, so I wanted to have a thousand questions for you, but before we get started, I do would like to get a little bit more background on yourself and kind of like, you know, you know, how, how does someone come up with uh, doing a crypto startup and uh, is it something you were, you were planning for a long time? And is that something you were interested in college or what did you do before even, right? Like, so I, I was studying economics in University College London uh, from 2009 to 2012. Um, I didn't hear about Bitcoin at all in uni, in, 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 in college. Um, but what happened was I was in my final year of uni, I was teaching myself how to code. So what ends up happening, what ended up happening was I spent a lot of time in programmers forums. And one of the forums that I kind of spent some time was Hacker News, which is kind of like a Reddit for techies. And it was used a lot by a lot of Silicon Valley uh, techies to kind of post interesting news. And one of the news that I kind of stumbled upon um, as I graduated as well uh, in 2013 was kind of uh, the Bitcoin. Uh, it's a lot of news and talks about Bitcoin. And I was really curious on to why people in Silicon Valley were talking about Bitcoin, which they claim to be a new form of money. And I had just graduated from three years in London, supposedly one of the best universities in the world, learning everything that I have to know about money. That's when I thought that, okay, there's only two options. Either my lecturers are obsolete and they didn't know about Bitcoin back then, or this, um, or these guys are crazy talking about this new form of magic internet money. Um, I, was, I, I read the Bitcoin white paper just because I was kind of fresh out of uni, so I was kind of used to reading 
white papers and all. And I thought that, you know what, maybe this thing could work. What's the harm? Let me just try it out. So I bought my first Bitcoin in 2013. Uh, very sketchy way of buying from local Bitcoins. There wasn't an exchange. So I basically, uh, it's like an Airbnb or an eBay for where you match buyers and sellers of Bitcoin. And, and there's some guy, some random dude say that, okay, I've got some Bitcoin to sell. So here's my bank account. Send me the money here. So I just send my money to some random And you actually got it. And you actually and got, got it? Yeah. That's, so the, good. That's good. Yeah. So the money <laughs> went to the escrow and... And I got a Bitcoin. So eventually, as I spend more time in crypto, I realized this this is actually quite game changing because you kind of remove all the middlemen away from, uh, you remove all the trusted central centralized entities from the from from the from the ecosystem, and and this could kind of remake finance from what it was previously. As I spend more time, I realized that there was a lot of opportunities and things to build in the space. A lot of websites back in 20, 2014, uh, really, really badly designed. So we thought that uh, building a crypto data website that is well designed could be something that is valuable and useful. And that's kind of what we did with CoinGecko. Yeah, no, super interesting. Especially back then, it was still in its infancy, right? Like I, I remember even me dabbling in it just to open an account. Even literally, if, let's think about this, three, four years ago was already painful still three, four years ago, right? The KYC, taking a picture, not, never worked, you get nothing approved. Um, it, it was really painful, right, to just uh, just hold them, uh, even purchase any Bitcoins at that time. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, so very so very early on. So that was uh, interesting how you got your first uh, Bitcoin. So that's very early on. So you started CoinGecko. Can you explain a little bit what CoinGecko does to the audience? Yeah, absolutely. So CoinGecko, in short, is uh cryptocurrency data aggregator we track over 8000 cryptocurrencies so besides bitcoin there is ethereum litecoin and 8000 other tokens in the market um you the easiest way to think about coin gecko is kind of like yahoo finance but for cryptocurrency so instead of tracking your stock prices you track crypto prices on coin gecko uh, we kind of we foresee a future where Anything that can be tokenized will be tokenized. So we are building the infrastructure to track a future there where there will be millions of tokens traded in the world. Yeah, and I do want to get into this whole token thing because like you said, there's millions of them. And so how do we make sense of them? Uh, because we are an investment and you know personal finance podcast. So how do people get access to this? But I'll, I'll, before we do that though, right, is um, where do you see then, you know, there's, there's so much going on, right? We are hitting all-time highs in, in, in Bitcoin earlier this year. Ethereum is, you know, doing great things. There's a lot of, you know, you know, excitement around it. Uh, there's a lot of uh, changes ahead. But, yeah, where do you see the current trend of crypto going uh, in, in over the next, let's say, you know, 12 months, but then also, you know, next five years, right? If you look a little bit more long-term. It's a bit hard for me to predict what's going to happen in the next 12 months because crypto sort of, historically been kind of it's a very cyclical industry and the, the cycle kind of takes roughly four years to complete it means it goes through a very high bull run and then it goes three one year of bull run and three years of a bear cycle uh, it kind of roughly mimics the bitcoin uh halving block reward halving cycle which happens every four years um but i, I don't know what's going to happen in the next 12 months because we kind of had a pretty exuberant year this year but I can kind of quite safely say what's going to happen in the next five years. Um, crypto's taking over the world of finance and um, 
more and more people will learn about blockchain technology and it will kind of do a lot. Finance hasn't really innovated for the past so many years. A lot of the core banking infrastructure was still uh, the mainframe computers are from the 70s and so on. And it's really hard to kind of innovate. Pretty much the whole internet innovation cycle that we have seen has kind of took place on every industry except the finance industry, finance banking industry. So the blockchain uh, cycle this time around has sort of allowed permissionless innovation to take place where people globally can kind of launch an application just like how you launch a website or, or a mobile app and kind of have all kind of interesting innovations taking place. Before blockchain technology, it was kind of almost very hard or impossible to kind of get anything done because you had to ask permissions from so many parties to get anything done. And so I, I would say that in the next five years that a lot of things will be moving to crypto, to blockchain technology, and this market will be a lot bigger than what it is now. I, I've been using this code from 2013 when I was telling all my friends about Bitcoin and crypto back then. The technology, the genie is out of the border. Blockchain technology has has been created. You can't put the genie back into the border. This technology isn't going anywhere. It's just going to get more and more commonplace uh, in the world. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I do want to get right next uh, into the DeFi space, right? You mentioned uh, the financial space is, is going to get disrupted here by, 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 by blockchain technology, right? Um, just to uh, go back one more step, though, um, you did read the Bitcoin white paper, right? And you started early on. Uh, where do you see then Bitcoin as kind of like the, you know, it's the it's still the largest by, you know, market cap uh, cryptocurrencies also it, compared to some of the other DeFi projects and some of the, uh, the coins, right? It's it's limited supply. Um, do you still see this as becoming still the digital gold then or staying that way? Or where do you see Bitcoin when if we just talk about that one? Yeah, so I think Bitcoin is interesting in the sense that it hasn't innovated and that became its feature. Uh, the inter most interesting part is it has a fixed supply of 21 million units, 21 million Bitcoins. It has taken on a store of value narrative. And we have always thought about this from even from 2013 and so on. And, and you can see why this store of value narrative takes place and becomes, becomes increasingly more important as we go along. It's mainly because of the amount of money that is being printed by the Federal Reserve and the central banks, other central banks worldwide. And I don't know how this can be sustainable. So if you want to protect your money against inflation, uh, Bitcoins, because of its limited supply, is one good way to kind of protect it. I, I always like to compare Bitcoin as a form of digital gold. And, and during times of inflation, during times of, uh, uh, during times of inflation, high inflation, um, things like gold and Bitcoin, which is a digital version of it, would do pretty well, I would say, to hold the value of your money. That's uh, that's great. And thank you for explaining uh, Bitcoin for us, right? The next step is uh, you mentioned earlier that the financial sector will be kind of disrupted by blockchain technology, right? And obviously, the buzzword of the year is DeFi, right? Or decentralized finance. Um, can you explain a little bit to the audience what actually DeFi is, right? Uh, we talk about it a lot or you hear it a lot in the news now everywhere, even the mainstream media. But what is it actually in your uh, opinion? Yeah, sure. Uh, DeFi stands for decentralized finance, which is basically a movement to provide financial services in a decentralized manner. So you can think of all your all the financial services that you have, like 
you put your money in the bank and you kind of borrow money from your bank and uh, and every other financial services. All those things are done in a centralized manner, which requires a centralized party and requires you to trust a party, a centralized party like a bank or custodian and so on to make these things work. DeFi um, is mostly built on top of blockchain uh, network, blockchain platforms like Ethereum, which allows for smart contracts, which are basically smart code smart application that are deployed onto computers globally and with that you and and it can kind of run autonomously without the need for anybody to trust any centralized party and 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 it, without the need for any human intervention so kind of like if you imagine like going to a, a pawn shop and and you would like to borrow some money like you would like, say you have a a gold chain you're, you're short of cash. So, so let's say you're short of cash. You have a, gold, a piece of gold chain and you would like to borrow like $1,000 from it. Um, the first step is you have to walk to a shop and then you have to get this piece of gold appraised by the appraiser. And then based on the amount of it that he probably say, okay, this is worth uh, $1,000, but I'm just going to give you $500 for you to borrow. DeFi allows for things like this where you have assets like Bitcoin or Ethereum or any other tokens that you have where you can kind of deposit into a smart contract and automatically allow uh, the contract allows you to borrow like for example 70% of the value of those tokens for you to spend however way that you wish you would like to um, a lot of these things uh, these services were available to private banking clients I would say uh, high net worth individuals where people can the rich can borrow based on the assets their shares that they have equity that they have but it's not available to the normal retail individuals crypto allows you to make your assets productive and kind of draw out some value from it to use for other use cases for example yeah and that's that's an interesting point actually because i think that's the next evolution there right because let's say you know i have you know a certain amount of bitcoin and i have some ethereum and some other coins right and they're just laying around yes obviously i look at the appreci appreciation of the asset right but where do you see the whole staking coming in? Like, and you know, because on my bank account, I well, I used to get interest, not anymore, right? But uh, we used to get interest on, you know, or you just said I can borrow against it. I think there's a lot of platforms starting to to adopt that, right? And starting to give you, um, you know, um, interest on your on your coin holdings, right? And on your in general. Um, there is, however, the discussion between should you keep it at these platforms? Can they be hacked, right? Or you know, have they attacks? Because like there's the hardcore people who say everything should be on a cold wallet, right? Uh, somewhere stored, uh, not leaving it on exchange or at one of these platforms. Like, where do you stand there? Or where do you see kind of like the, 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 because there's no regulation, right? So it's difficult for people to trust other people to do that yet at this point right now, right? Yeah. So it's interesting that you brought up because there are lending lending and borrowing platforms out there in DeFi. Uh, such examples would be Compound and Aave and Cream, for example. There's a lot of risk when it comes to putting your money on a smart contract. So instead of trusting a bank account, which is regulated by central bank, but that bank can be subjected to a bank run, you trust a smart contract that has been audited and time-tested, better-tested, and... and well, because it's open, anybody can see the smart contract and can kind of, it's being constantly being attacked because whoever the hack can hack into it stand to gain like 
the entire amount in the smart contract. So because nobody can take the money in there and anybody is free to attack, it's most likely safe. Uh, so there is a lot of risk when it comes to putting your money on on um, onto this platform. Smart contract risk is one of the risks. Uh, but there are ways that you can mitigate them. You can buy insurance on these smart contracts so that if there is a hacking incident on one of the smart contracts and if you lose some money, there will be a payoff from payout from from that from that insurance, from that cover. So for example, I think there's a lot of people looking to crypto DeFi these days because using your bank accounts are zero these days. Zero is kind of good compared to getting a negative interest rate. So you have to pay your bank to to put money in the bank account, which is kind of worse. Uh, but if which we have into, in Europe already, right? So <laughs> yeah, yes. I think I think if you look into crypto, like you for a lot of these USD stablecoins deposits at this current rate, you can probably get around ten to twelve percent per annum interest, which is this was kind of thirty percent last year, but yields have kind of gone down, and you can kind of buy. In, uh, insurance on some of these deposits for about 2.5% per annum, 2.6%. So you're looking at net interest after insurance at around 8% or so, which is still reasonably well, reasonably high for a USD stablecoin deposit compared to bank accounts. But but yeah, I would say that there is a lot of risk. You need to know what you're doing. Uh, essentially, you are becoming your own bank. You are trusting yourself. And when you become your own bank, you take care of your own security. There is no one to blame except yourself if you screw up. So when it comes to security, it's highly important to to pay a lot of attention to how do you secure, uh, you keep all your, 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 your accounts safe from hackers because if you lose them, then that's it. There's no one, because, because crypto transactions are irreversible. Like if you lose your coins, that's it. That's the end of it. There's no one for you to complain. There's no one to lodge a report. Yeah. No, I know that's always the hard part. Like you know, if you send crypto to a friend or something, or to an address, and you check it fifty thousand times, right before like because when you press that button and there's one wrong letter or something, it's gone, right? Whereas in the bank, you can go to the bank and say, hey, can you reverse this transaction or something, right? It's still a pain to do, but yeah, no, definitely one of the things that people should look out for. Um, so when are we? Um, so we know how we understand how what DeFi is and kind of how it works, right? So are there any like favorite projects or like interesting projects that you think that you've seen or come across that uh, are worth sharing? Like because that's kind of you know best use cases, kind of applications on the horizon. So my favorite is definitely exchanges, uh, decentralized exchanges. So if you think about it, exchanges have historically been centralized entities. So things like Coinbase, Binance. Um, and so on. So you basically um, send your cryptocurrencies to their wallets and they hold it on your behalf. And then they have they provide a platform with an order book and a matching engine and you can kind of trade BTC, USDT or whatever other currencies that you want and basically hope and pray that the platform doesn't go down because if it does go down, then you're screwed because there is no other recourse well, maybe in Malaysia, if you maybe in some maybe in some countries there are regulated exchanges which are regulated by the Securities Commission. In which case, you can kind of lodge a report, but there's not much that they can do if they decide to run away. The money is gone anyway. So, um, so decentralized exchanges are, are interesting because instead of putting your funds in a centralized exchange, you don't transfer the funds to this third party. You hold the funds yourself and. You only make a transaction when there is a matching amount on the other side for the trade. Uh, 
And um, I think the, the latest round, the earliest forms of decentralized exchanges uses an order book based system. So uh, you have to match a buyer with a seller with the exact amount and exact size, which was a bit hard in the decentralized world. But the newer versions like Uniswap and SushiSwap makes use of this thing called an automated market maker where uh, the matching kind of is done automatically with some sort of a slippage. And that and that that's interesting. But what is more interesting is for the first time, because it's called an automated market maker, uh, you can be a market maker yourself. And instead of the fees going to professional market makers, the fees will go to people who provide liquidity on this centralized exchange and you earn a yield or for providing your money, your liquidity on these platforms. So um, a lot of financial, like professional financial, professional market makers on centralized platforms like they would have to adapt to the decentralized world and there is no i mean with with a lot of the earlier versions of decentralized exchanges there is really no added advantage from a professional and a retail market maker but the newer ones on uniswap version 3 for example there is some added advantage you have to kind of there's a little bit more sophistication to doing market making on these platforms but um, I think there's, there's interesting use that you can make from providing liquidity on these uh, on these ex- decentralized exchanges. Yeah, no, it's super interesting topic. Uh, yeah, and I, I need to deep dive dive deeper on this topic for sure myself. But uh, no, it, it perfectly makes sense why why it's there and what benefits it brings to 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 people, right? So. Um, one of the things you, you talked about a little bit earlier and you said, hey, in, in Malaysia, some of the exchanges are actually regulated already by, by the government, but there's still not much you can do. We hear always the risk of government regulation, right? So that's always one of the big things that, you know, when you talk to people that are not on board with crypto, that's the first thing they're going to say, oh, just wait until we get government regulation, right? At that point, you know, you... You just get the USD token from the U.S. government, and then everyone will adopt that compared to Bitcoin or all the other ones. How do you how do you see that, or is that already too late, uh, or do now the actually the countries have to more adopt adapt to that ecospace that was created because they came too late now, or where where do you see this? What, what what's your point of view? Regulation is really fluid, right? I mean, like regulators are constantly catching up with the innovations that are taking place in the crypto space. Um, I think I think we definitely need regulations, especially on the fiat on and off ramp, like the part where it interfaces with like your USD or, or JPY or MYR. Those, those people needs, the exchange platform needs to be regulated uh, for obvious AML, KYC purposes. But once you're on a crypto 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 ram on then then um i guess it really depends on how regulations will play out nobody knows how things will play out yet so it's kind of uh, i think it's just uh it's interesting going to be monitored to see how things go i think there will be regulatory arbitrage countries will be competing against each other to kind of attract the talent the companies to relocate to these jurisdictions to uh operate um but I, I really hope that regulators will take an open view to 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 regulating the space because there is a lot of opportunities there and the regulators which take a, a, an open view will 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 reap a lot of benefits by attracting the right companies and talent to relocate to these places to build their companies. No, absolutely, great, great, great insights there. Um, so going back um, to the DeFi topic, then right? Uh, obviously. 
the one of the reasons why it's also been so big over the last 18 months and especially probably the last like you know so since about october november right it got bigger and bigger and bigger um it's been in the news right and also big you know billionaires uh millionaires like mark cuban kevin o'leary uh, the host of others right uh, elon musk we're gonna have a separate question for you on that but even hedge funds are now getting into DeFi, right? Uh, and you see a lot of venture capital money. I, I think one of the ones that fascinated me was obviously um, the ICP token, right? The internet one, um, you know, that everyone was invested in that basically, right? So what do you think is the main reason why all of these people are now getting interested? Is it just a, 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 a short-term, like, get-rich-quick kind of thing? Or is it actually they're really believing in this and they're really seeing the future as it is, as you are seeing it? I, I think it's a mix of both, right? I mean, the high returns that Bitcoin and the other DeFi tokens have exhibited in the past one year. I mean, if you are a, a fund manager and you are not actively looking into putting a small percentage of your fund into the crypto market, I think you'll be out of job in the next few years because your LPs will be asking, what are you doing? Why are you not investigating crypto market? Why are you not trying to hedge or maybe have some percentage of the portfolio in crypto? So I think every single fund manager is actively looking at allocating a percentage of their funds into Bitcoin at least. And the question is, how can they do that reliably? Uh, that's not obviously not a very easy thing. There's all this fund mandate and all these custodian services and all. But I would say that um, the high returns offered in the crypto space is a very, very big pool factor. And, um, and, 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 and also the returns that you can make from all this staking in this DeFi. Like, I mean, if you can make 10% on your USD deposits uh, with insurance compared to just sitting in, I mean, getting 10% in equity market is a spectacular return for any given years. But if you can just get 10% just by holding USD without any volatility except for the risk, and if you can pass out all the risk completely, then like, why are you not trying to do that as a fund manager? So that's that's kind of one of the the, the reasons as well. And and yeah, that's, 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 what, that's my answer, yeah. No, for sure. And uh, talking, like I said, I did want to me mention Elon Musk, right? Because I think some people in the space also got upset about it a little bit as well, right? So this is the whole thing, you know, you're openly, you know, and he has such a platform, right? We have to re go back a step, actually. His platform on the internet, especially on Twitter, right? And social media is gigantic and everyone listens to his word, right? Um, there's a lot of people who you know, look up to him as the Messiah, right? With Tesla and everything, you get the very fanboys of him, right? Um, so one day he op pushes Bitcoin, right? Then he says, oh, Bitcoin is not, uh, you know, green enough uh, for, for uh, on the mining side of things and to run Bitcoin. And then he's saying, oh, Dogecoin is better, right? And then Dogecoin goes through the roof, right? So where do you stand when it comes to, comes to these, you know, uh, you know, basically uh, where do you stand you know when it comes to those arguments from him or like the way he handles these things and then how bad is it for the everyday person right because they're kind of torn right yep. so i mean elon musk is just trolling all his followers and my first advice is you shouldn't be listening to random strangers on the internet on what you should do with your money you should really be doing your own research and finding out for yourself i mean just because elon musk says that Dogecoin is going to the moon doesn't mean that you should go and spend all your money because that's obviously a bad decision. Like, And, and we have seen, like, I think he was shilling Dogecoin when, on Saturday Night Live when it was like 70 cents or so and look where the price is now, like at least half from where it was. So 
I don't think. I mean, it's kind of. I think if you're if you're just buying it just to play along as part of a game, then you know it's fine. But if you're buying it as a large percentage of your portfolio just because Elon Musk is saying that you should buy it, there's obviously a bad reason to to buy. So you shouldn't be following what an advice from somebody else. My advice usually um, is that if you are so. So, so there's, there's a range of listeners to this podcast. Some of you may be more familiar with crypto and DeFi and so on, but many of you may not really be into Bitcoin or crypto. And, and my advice, and I, and I gave this advice to one of my roommates in, in the UK, is that if you are in... The way to think about Bitcoin and the crypto market is to have a super long-term view of the, of the space, like at least a five years horizon, because I have no idea what's going to happen in 12, years, 12 months time, but in five years time, 10 years time, I'm pretty sure that it will be a pretty big industry. Um, this, decide your net, take a look at your net worth and decide and have a small percentage, be it 1%, 1 to 10%, just choose a number that you're comfortable with. And of this, like, let's say you choose 5% of your net wealth and buy Bitcoin and maybe Ether. And then up to you, you just buy one lump sum or dollar cost average over the next two years, for example. And then just don't think about it. Ignore all the news, all the hype in the market and just hold for the long term. And, and then just come and revisit that in five years time and see what, what, what's, what, what do you want to do with that portfolio? Because that 1% could be worth a lot more by then or if, if it goes completely, or it may go to zero, in which case it's just a small percentage of your portfolio. So that's, that's what I always tell people. Like just, there's a lot of hype, a lot of news. There's 8,000 coins, but the key, the, the, the key thing is, unlike the stock market, the crypto market is still very immature and almost all the tokens are correlated with Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin goes up, like the rest will also go up maybe at a higher volatility, at a higher rate, perhaps, or a lower rate if it only goes down. Yeah, so no, that's, I think that's super good advice, right? That's a good advice for investment strategy for beginners, right? If you want to get in, take a net worth percentage that you feel it's okay to lose, right? It's okay to lose, but at least I think with crypto, it's a lot, it was for me at least, just to try it out because it's it's not the normal way, right? It's in the beginning it seems very actually like quite intimidating, right? Compared to like oh I'm just sending money to my broker and buy an ETF, right? Uh, in the first step, now it's getting much better nowadays, right? But uh, I think that just to dibble in it and understanding a little bit more the technology is interesting, anyways. And I think you the best way to do it is you know putting some money behind it uh, into that into that portfolio yeah and i would like to add like i mean if you say you put a 1% of it of your net wealth into bitcoin and then like if you want to and there's a lot of things in in crypto and all these things require time and effort and a little bit of money to learn all these things and if you are interested in all these things you take a small percentage of that portfolio 1% or 10% of that portfolio and then go around and and play and, and, and learn from these things, learn, learn to use all these DeFi applications. There are a lot of high yielding opportunities in the space, but it requires you to spend the time and effort to research them. And, and many times, like learning about them costs money because you have to pay the network transaction fee. It's not, it's not free. And you probably make mistakes and you probably lose the money once you make the mistake. So, so um, I mean, that's just mainly for people who are, who wants to spend the effort and time to kind of learn those things. But if you don't want to spend all this time and effort to do it, just, just buy Bitcoin and maybe Ethereum and just hold for the long haul and see what happens. No, that's, that, I think, super good advice. Well, then let's move on. You already mentioned a little bit, but uh, would you mind sharing a little bit of what is in your personal portfolio? And if so, 
is it mostly into crypto or only crypto at this point now because you've been so early on in the space, you really believe in the space or do you still invest in other asset classes as well, like real estate, stocks, bonds kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, crypto is obviously a part of my portfolio and uh, I do a little, uh, some real estate. Uh, not really. I mean, the one, the own, own real estate I'm staying Uh looking for a couple of maybe investment assets, investment real estate. I have a equity market is obviously a big one. Uh, I use stash away actually. So I'm a client. Uh, I, I do a dollar cost averaging strategy. So every month when my salary comes in, it automatically uh, deposits into stash away and buys into the equity market based on my risk portfolio. For me, I look at that as kind of a retirement savings as well. Um, so yeah, the equity market is, is an important part of the portfolio. So a little bit of everything still. So and then within the crypto investments, right? You already talked about like you know deep diving on certain uh, uh, protocols or certain coins, right? So that you understand them better before investing in them. Do you mainly though buy yourself still Bitcoin and Ethereum, so the blue chips, or do you still diversify across a lot of the smaller altcoins uh, in the space? I would say like maybe 90 percent is Bitcoin and Ethereum. And then the rest is just the other blue, other blue chip DeFi tokens, for example. Um, and then maybe a smaller percentage on some of the speculative small cap coins. Um, but those are like really risky, right? And then some a percentage of those, uh, I mean, you can take, because you have Bitcoin and Ether, you can always take that and do some yield farming as well. So, so if, for example, if you strongly believe in Bitcoin and Ether, you can take BTC and ETH and kind of put it into a decentralized exchange like SushiSwap or Uniswap and kind of provide liquidity for this. And everybody who trades WBTC or ETH on the DEX will accrue a fee and this fee goes to you. So you are earning money from providing your liquidity on these two tokens that you believe your whole value in the long term. So, um, I mean, there obviously some risk as well. Uh, this risk called impermanent loss. And it's a bit more complex to kind of talk about it today. But but, but if you believe in the ratio for the long term, then, then, then it should be fine. No, that's awesome. That's really good. I'll have to do some digging on those two things. So that's good. And um, obviously, another big part of your network is probably CoinGecko as well, right? So where do you see kind of the future of CoinGecko? Uh, what, what, what are kind of like the next spaces uh, you guys want to go into or what are you already doing um, that's interesting for the listeners to, to follow up on? <laughs> yeah, you brought up a good point. Yeah, indeed, the shares are worth something. Uh, they're exactly. worth nothing until they are sold, I suppose. That's what I always say about startups. Yes, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I always tell my guys as well, the options as well, like, you know, the shares are toilet paper money. Like they are worth nothing until an exit happens. Even if, if an ex- I mean, it may be worth a lot of money based on whatever amount that you've raised from the valuation yes. of the company, but it's just paper money, paper value. There is no real value until you have and navigated a successful exit. So yes, the, the kind of the end game, I suppose, in the next few years is to have a successful exit because then I... We, I can successfully turn the shares into real money, real value, real asset that I can use to to retire, I suppose, or yep. do something in the rest with the rest of the money, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then uh, actually, I didn't know I didn't um, uh, research this before, but uh, did you actually have uh, venture capital money in in CoinGecko, or have you been bootstrapping it from the beginning? Yeah, so we 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 didn't raise any money from VCs. We actually bootstrapped the entire the company from twenty fourteen. Um, back in the days in 2014, when we started the company, 
most VCs didn't really understand Bitcoin, especially the VCs in this part of the region in Asia. Um, that kind of forces us to kind of be creative with how we allocate capital and how we spend capital to grow. So, and then because we spent the first few years growing without VCs, and then eventually we kind of generated cash flow that we reinvested in the business. And we didn't we reached a point where we didn't really need external capital to grow the business further. Um, so yeah, that's that's the story of how how CoinGecko ended up being bootstrapped. No, that's all. That's an awesome story, right? Uh, and it's uh, it's it's good to keep keep your your equity stake high. So uh, uh, you know, no delusion for you. So that's awesome. No, really cool. Hey, um, Bobby, thank you so much. Is there any like you know final parting thought or like advice for people who want to get into the DeFi space other than what we've mentioned already that you would want them to take away with? It's probably worth mentioning that it's worth the time to read the Bitcoin white paper and then uh, to play and take a look at Ethereum and these other applications. There's, it's one thing to read about things or about the potential of blockchain technology or Ethereum or DeFi, but it's a whole completely different experience when you actually go out and and use these applications yourself. So go out and use this application instead of just reading. You, you can hear from me on this podcast, but it's completely different if you go out and use Compound, Aave, and all these other DeFi applications. Yeah, no, very good advice. And so if you guys want to learn more, um, I will put the, um, the link to CoinGecko's website. I think there's a lot of resources there as well for people to learn, right, about Bitcoin and uh, crypto space in general. So we'll definitely put some links in the in the show notes below for everyone who wants to learn more and can, uh, you know, follow... Bobby as well. Um, so again, Bobby, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, I think we'll probably have to do a, a follow-up session in a few months' time to just go even deeper on some of the topics because yeah. I think there's there's a, there's so much to learn from this, and I think the appetite of the people is uh, is through the roof right now. So uh, definitely, hopefully, I get to get to have you again on here. Yep, yep. Looking forward to it. That's it for the show this week. Thanks for listening. We're recording an episode with Jessica Ramella, the winner of the inaugural season of The Apprentice One Championship Edition in the coming weeks. If you have any questions for her, send them to us at podcast at stashaway.com. And if you like what you've heard, subscribe and leave us a review. The reviews really help us and we love to read your comments as well. In Your Best Interest is hosted by me, Philip Müller. We're produced by Stashaway and we're mixed by Mo Remley. 